We've got a lot of things to talk about on this 353rd episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We've got uh, some NFL news to talk about. We've got uh, a bit of a meathead update, and that involves the first two things I've both said in regard to an update and some NFL news. And a meathead is actually in the hospital, so I want to talk about that. Um, Have you ever heard of a coaching staff that has 26 assistant coaches on it? Isn't that a little bit too much? Hmm. Um, Nice to see the lineage, if you will, of a ball player over the weekend in Toronto as Kevon Biggio made his major league debut with the Toronto uh, Blue Jays at second base. His father, of course, is the Hall of Famer Craig Biggio of the Houston Astros. This young man can play, and he's part of the rebuilding uh, Toronto uh, Blue Jays. Pretty soon they'll have Dante Bichette's kid up playing shortstop. But for right now, Vladimir Guerrero, his kid Junior is up with the big league club. You now have the BGO kid at second, and you're soon to have Dante Bichette's son in the major leagues playing for the Toronto Blue Jays. The rebuilding plan is in full throttle and full mode in Toronto. But we've got something a little bit different here. For the first time in 18 years, and this is the way I want to start episode number 353 of our little program. For the first time in 18 years, wrestling icon, magnet, whatever you want to call him, Vince McMahon, has some competition for his little WWE brand and to talk about it and get us updated on what they're calling the AEW, All Elite Wrestling, the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Flip. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, it was awesome watching that on the weekend. It was the first time I have sincerely enjoyed and been really into wrestling in a very, very long time. I always found it hard to get into it since I stopped doing it personally. And also it was just, you know, it hasn't been great. They've made some improvements, but some things have gotten worse. But uh, they, Vince actually needed this kick in the pants. I don't think he'll do anything good with it, but... Yeah, the best stuff that Vince ever did was when he was going against Ted Turner's money in the 90s with WCW. And, uh, you know, Ted Turner famously had Monday Nitro win the Monday Night Wars, as they called them, when they go head to head in the ratings. Uh, they won 83 weeks in a row. And then Vince finally came back and beat them and then bought them in 01. But yeah, I mean, so like he's always done. He's just bought up his competition in the end. But that's not going to happen this time because the cons have more money than Vince does. Uh, Shot Khan's fortune, it's hard to estimate. It's anywhere from 2.7 to 8.4 billion, but he does own the Jacksonville Jaguars in the NFL. He does own the Fulham Soccer Club, and uh, he's got all sorts of stuff going. But this is mostly run by his son, Tony Khan, and of course the Young Bucks tag team who have really been responsible for getting this going. But just a spectacular card on the weekend. What I'd like to do with Mike uh, one of these days, what I'd like to kind of start doing once in a while is on YouTube... Some people, the way they get their channels really big on YouTube is what they do is they have reaction videos. What they'll do is they'll, for example, this one guy I saw, he's a rugby player in Australia, so he's never really watched the NFL. So what he did, and he's got a bunch of followers now, is he puts something like, real rugby player reacts to watching football. And so then he'll like, okay, today's episode, I'm just going to watch a highlight of the best plays of all time by this guy named Barry Sanders. Mm-hmm. And so and so you get to watch him, who plays a similar sport, but not the same, watch uh, something for the first time he's never seen before. So he'll watch Barry Sanders like, oh, wow, that guy's great or whatever. So I'd like to do that with some certain things. And one thing would be I'd like to show you some amazing matches from All Elite Wrestling, for example, because I know that for you, 
I don't think you've watched a whole heck of a lot of wrestling. What you have watched was in the 80s, right. WWE, WWF at the time. You'd have big guys like Hulk Hogan throwing shitty punches and then dropping the big leg and that's it. Right. If you see what's going on in these matches, it'll blow your fucking mind. Yeah. It'll like, you will, like, whatever you're picturing it is, it's going to like, you'll be like, seriously? Like, wow. Like, these guys are unbelievable what they can do these days. Even some guys that are big and muscular. And it, it really is special. There's been some other thing, other leagues try to come along in recent years that have really good wrestling, but they just haven't had the financial backing, the national exposure, and just really the soul and the will to compete head on with Vince. I mean, you've got Ring of Honor and Impact Wrestling, and, you know, they've got little good businesses for themselves, but All Elite Wrestling, as soon as I heard about it, I thought, okay, this is the real deal. Uh, You know, they got Chris Jericho, who won the main event over Kenny Omega uh, on the inaugural pay-per-view on the weekend, which was double or nothing from the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, and it did sell out in four minutes, which is pretty good for a first-time card for uh, for a show for a new wrestling league. And this is different than all the other ones. This is going to be the first time since WCW that Vince has some competition, and people are starting to leave, and it's going to be interesting because he hasn't had to worry about things, although I did hear the other day, uh, the guy was anonymous, so we didn't hear who it was, but apparently Vince gave some random mid-carder some wrestler that's not even a big star or anything, half a million dollars a year, which is a lot for a really low-ranking wrestler. Basically, just and he's hardly even used on TV, whoever this guy is. And they gave him that just to kind of prevent him from going to the competition. So we're going to start seeing this type of stuff. It's great for indie wrestlers that are just trying to make a living, for sure. It gives them more places to work. It's like how the AEF and XFL should work. I don't know if they will. But you give the guys more places to work. You, you get that competition, you raise salaries. It's great for the wrestlers. I'm very happy to see this, but uh, it's going to be interesting. I guarantee you this will be different than all the other ones and that AEW is a serious deal and all the hardcore wrestling fans who know what's going on and pay attention and show up and really cheer their asses off and really are all the way into it. The biggest wrestling fans in the world and the smartest wrestling fans in the world will be going to AEW and Vince is just going to be left with the typical sanitized mediocre pg shit of just random families coming there sitting on their hands then going home well i think if uh aew and uh they're listening to unscripted they should bring us on as a sponsor after that oh i'll endorse aew all day well that's what i'm saying that and the spearmint rhino yeah that's all i need yeah um a lot of things to talk about on this uh, 353rd episode of unscripted and i want to start we haven't done this in a while and i just thought about it hey perfect way to get back into talking about some of the meatheads from the wonderful and wacky <laughs> world of sports. Um, the guy in the penthouse of meatheads, in my opinion, from the wonderful and wacky world of sports, happens to live in suburban Detroit. And Cavaliers owner Dan Gilbert finds himself in a suburban uh, Detroit hospital with stroke-like symptoms. And first and foremost, I am not making fun of an illness. I'm just making fun of the idiot that's having the illness. <laughs> There's a difference. I love it. I am not a Dan Gilbert fan. I don't wish the guy would pass on, but I just think he's a meathead. He, you know, as much as I was stamping for years for LeBron James to go to Los Angeles and become a Laker, I think if he had, wouldn't have been such a meathead, he probably could have kept LeBron James for a few more years and probably had dominated the Eastern Conference for a few more years. 
but I truly believe that Dan Gilbert is a meathead. And again, I'm not making fun of the illness. I'm making fun of the guy who's sick, who I think has been quite ill for quite a while. But uh, not one of my favorite people in the wonderful and wacky world of sports. But this next guy that I'm going to put up for right for chairman of the board for it. Well, not, he can't be chairman of the board of the meatheads because that's Dan Gilbert, but we'll make him the second in command. This guy's going to be, he could go unopposed. This is just ludicrous to me. This is why this guy is a, is a potential great meathead. And I'm talking about former Philadelphia Eagle and Washington Redskin quarterback, Donovan McNabb, who to my recollection and, um, you know, I forget things every now and then, but I believe in my heart of hearts that Donovan McNabb also played for the Minnesota Vikings, if I remember correctly. <laughs> There's one strike against you right there, you moron. Um, zero Super Bowl championships on his resume. And yet he recently came out on some show I was listening to the other day saying that, and he still adamantly believes this, that he is, and I quote, a Hall of Famer because he has, and I quote, better numbers than Aikman, but he had all, but he has all of those Super Bowl rings and he played with Hall of Famers, end quote. Here's the problem, Donovan. A, you're limited as a quarterback. I don't give a damn about the color of your skin. I'm talking about your abilities on a football field. How many big games did you play in under Andy Reid? You had a pretty good damn coach to work with, which is Andy Reid. You had some decent receivers. There are some guys that get get on with with less, get by with less is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but if you believe that you're a Hall of Famer, Donovan, you need to go back and make sure that you really did graduate from Syracuse University because if you really believe that, you are too stupid to get into Syracuse University. There is no way... Donovan McNabb is a Hall of Famer. There's a reason that Troy Aikman is a Hall of Famer, regardless of what Skip Bayless thinks. Troy Aikman is a Hall of Famer because of championships won. Um, and yeah, he had some Hall of Famers to work with, no question about it, and they took some of the load off, no question. You can hand the ball off to Emmett Smith. You can throw the ball to Michael Irvin or Jay Novacek or Alvin Harper. You've got... Jimmy Johnson as a coach, and at one time, Norv Turner as an offensive coordinator. They were a brilliant pair before Jerry Jones did the stupid thing and tried to interject. Dumbest thing you ever did, Jerry. And I'll get to you in a couple of minutes about the Cowboys. But if Donovan McNabb believes that he truly, and it's good to have self-confidence. It's good to believe in yourself. I've got to be better at that. My self-confidence is at an all-time low. But I don't believe myself to be a pro football Hall of Famer. And I don't think you should either. Because the bottom line here, Donovan, is this. Zero championships. And to my recollection, you played in one Super Bowl, which was a loss to the New England Patriots, to my recollection. You played in five NFC Championship games. There was a problem. You lost four of them. So I just think, you know, self-confidence is good. but knowing. Your boundaries is probably better because when you stay, say stuff like this and continually are you know pumping yourself up, you're making yourself look like a fool. Well, if you could get into the Hall of Fame by being the eighth best quarterback in the league six years in a row, <laughs> there you Donovan go. McNabb would be a first ballot, <laughs> first ballot Hall, of Hall of Famer, baby. <laughs> there you go. Look, he's great and all that, and he's 
okay and he had his moments and he just he's one of those guys who never won the big one and it's I think actually a really good example of what the Hall of Fame is really for in in all seriousness is it's to weed out guys like this and and to say that hey he had a nice career he made a lot of money he won lots of games and and he almost won a Super Bowl but he didn't do any of it in the end and in the end he was just a sort of a glorified journeyman slightly better than that i guess maybe. he was hanging so, on for a job yeah really i mean i guess you could maybe make the case he was slightly above average but uh, in the end the hall of fame is for the elite and uh, that's that's all there is to it and donovan mcnab was not elite and he was he was close at times at his best he had some great long bombs, and he'd have lots of highlight reels with Chris Berman saying Donovan McNabb, and you know, and then and people remembered the name because there's something to kind of the uh, cadence of it, I think. And to this day, look, his legacy continues on. His brother Richard Nurse was in the CFL for Hamilton, and of course, his nephew is Darnell Nurse. Oh yeah, from Edmonton for, Oilers. For the yeah. Oilers, yeah, absolutely, Doctor Two Five, Darnell Nurse for sure. So I mean, his. His uh, his family continues to excel. Of course, Kia Nurse, Darnell's sister, is Canada's best basketball player. He's in the WNBA. And, uh, I mean, really, it's, it's a heck of a sports family. Don't get me wrong. Right. But Donovan McNabb is a great example of a guy who had a solid career, made a ton of money, and does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, I mean, if Donovan McNabb thinks he should be in the Hall of Fame, then you've got a. I mean, then it's not really a Hall of Fame. You need a bigger Hall of Fame. Well, first not of only all. that, but that's it's like, it's like when you give, and I see this. Well, I used to with my kids in soccer. You know, everybody gets a participation medal Ugh. if they show up, right? If they're breathing, they get a medal. Well, that's what you've you've made the Hall of Fame become. If Donovan McNabb gets in, you've given everybody a participation medal, and not everybody deserves to get in the hall of fame i'm sorry there just isn't enough room there's there's that's my that's one of my problems is we're allowing too many borderline cases in in all four major sports chris asked me one time and i remember it because I've, I've listened to it in one of my walks around the city of calgary and we were talking about dan marino one day should he be in the hall of fame and i put the caveat on there no not because of his numbers deserving of his numbers he can't help it he never had a defense to work with in miami marino had to outscore everybody but the problem was is marino was 0 for 1 in super bowls there's got to be a bare minimum you have to i believe you have to be to be in the, the elite locker room of life in regard to hall of fames and professional sports in the big four team sports the team that you're on or a team that you're on has to have won a championship bottom line it's, it's it's fairly fair, but I will say that if there was one guy in any sport that did deserve to be in the Hall of Fame with no championships, it's probably Marino. I'm, and that's why he's in. His numbers, you can't, you can't erase those numbers out of your mind. They're uh, outstanding. What he did as a rookie when he came in in 1984, and he looked like he'd been in there 20 years, and he made... You know what? There's a lot of similarity between Dan Marino and Aaron Rodgers. Think about it this way. This th This is the analogy. Marino is bigger, stronger. He's a, he's, a, he's a hulking guy. I've met him once. He's just huge. He's got hands like meat hooks. Three size, your hands. Oh, everyone's well, got but, three size. But, 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 I'm, but I'm just saying, just to, you know, you could see how he could throw the football and how he could grip it. And, and he played at Pittsburgh in college. And, but here's the thing Dan Marino 
and where I'm making the compare and drawing the comparison to Aaron Rodgers is because Miami's defense was so bad, AKA green Bay's defense that Rodgers has to put up Herculean numbers to win football games. And that's been the way it's been for years. It really is folks. Uh, you know, I'm not blowing smoke up your poop shoot. The Packers have not been relevant. The Packers have not been a top 10 defense since 2010. Coincidentally, that's the last time they won the fucking Super Bowl. Now you see one of the reasons why Gutekunst is spending so much money and draft capital on defense. You've got to take some of the pressure off of Aaron Rodgers. That's similarly what Dan Marino faced for years in Miami, playing for the first part of his career, first half of his career, with the all-time winningest coach in the National Football League, Don Shula. But why, as great as Shula is with 349 career wins, kicks the shit out of everybody? But why couldn't Shula address defense in Miami? Why didn't he bring proper personnel? You know, Miami was good for the longest time because of Marino, and but they draft low, a lot like the New England Patriots do every year. But the New England Patriots field a competitive defense. They've won a number of championships to justify that. That always surprised me about Coach Shula is why he wouldn't augment his defense when you had Marino and the Duper and uh, Clayton wide receiver combo. You had all these offensive weapons. They were putting up prolific numbers, but they couldn't stop anybody. It was like a pinball machine when, when uh, Miami played somebody. You'd have to win it 49-48. to 48 because Miami's defense couldn't stop anybody, and the other team's defense couldn't stop Marino. That's how Marino got into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Donovan McNabb does not have those kind of numbers, and he didn't lead a team. He says, uh, McNabb says he played, meaning Aikman, played with a lot of Hall of Famers. Well, let me tell you something, Donovan. You must have played with some pretty good football players, especially on the defensive side of the football, to be in five NFC Championship games. You were a pretty good team. You just weren't a great team. And the one time you did get through to the big the big game, you lost to, gee, the New England Patriots. Donovan McNabb, shut your mouth. Stop making yourself look stupid. Appreciate your career, but not everybody. It's a very exclusive fraternity. There's only one champion's locker room at the Masters. Only champions get to use that locker room the week of the Masters. You haven't earned your key and never will to the Masters Championship locker room, Donovan, and you got to live with that, pal. I didn't know about that locker room. That's actually pretty neat. Yeah, they have a champion's locker room. So Mike Weir gets to go in there, too. Mike Weir gets to play until he's 65, and he can go at any time. He gets to play until he's 65? He can play the Masters. They put a rule in a couple years ago. So you get unlimited. You you always... you can be the 9,837th player ranked in the world, and you can still, if you've won the Masters, you can still play every year. So before there was no age limit? There was no age limit, but last within the last five years, I think it's 65 or 70 now. They don't allow them to tee it up once they get to 65 or 70. Oh, okay, unless they were in the good rankings, which well, is unlikely. But, but, yeah. No, that's yeah. not, not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So um, you can play the Masters until you're 65 if you are a former champion. Oh, nice. And you have a locker in the champions locker room, which only champions get to go in. Tiger Woods can go in. Ernie Els cannot. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Be like someone like Ernie Els and to go there and say, sorry, you're right, not good enough. Right, you can't. Um, wow. Today, Tiger Woods can go in. Rory McIlroy cannot. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. Right. 
Yeah. My dad's favorite golfer was always Mike Weir, maybe still is. Whatever happened with Mike Weir? How come he only had the one? Poor Mike Weir. He had a great run in the early 90s when he was, or excuse me, the early 2000s. Yeah, 2003. When, 2003. Right? I've got an autographed picture of him putting at Augusta National. Um, he was at the top of the world. Mike Weir got the President's Cup to come to Canada. He got it to come to Montreal because of his popularity and his relationship with Tiger at the time. I believe it was 97, excuse, 97, excuse me, 2007, somewhere in there, 2005, somewhere in there. After he had won the 2003 Masters, because of his popularity and how well he was playing at the time, Mike Weir got the President's Cup to Canada. Then all of a sudden injuries came and then he tried to do a swing change and he has just... Um, it's, it's, it's been painful to see. He played, I saw him, he played in this year's masters. Um, I saw a couple holes of him playing at the masters this year. He recently was in a web.com tour event to try to get his PGA tour status back, but I don't think it's going to happen. It's just, uh, the injuries. He can still go to Augusta and use the He can still play. He could be as bad as you and I in a golf course and he can still play Augusta, Augusta national anytime he wants up till I believe the age of 65. Wow. Well, good, good for him. That's great. But why? And I know that Tiger's like redone his swing a couple times, I think, too. But you in the Masters, why do you then go and redo your swing? I have no idea. I think, uh, you know, I know from reading books, I've read a lot of books written about Tiger. The one that I took a lot from was the book that was written by his at one time coach, Hank Haney, about Tiger was a perfectionist always looking for a little tweak here, a little tweak there. And all these tweaks all of a sudden get into your head and they screw with you after a while. I don't, I, you know, I've asked that question to myself and others a million times. And the answer is a very simplistic, why would you do that? If you're winning major championships, unless there is something, now I know Tiger's had to, because of the five knee operations yeah, on his okay. front knee, he's had to change some things to take some of that pressure off of that knee. I get that. But with Mike Weir, from what I can remember, what I recall, it was something with his shoulder or his arm that has given him all these problems all these years. And it, he just has never recovered. Seemingly, obviously, he's never recovered from it. He's trying to get on into web.com tour events because he doesn't have, he doesn't have playing privileges right now in the, uh, on the PGA Tour. So that's a tragedy because, again, 2003, I was developing or as part of the team that was developing Valley Ridge. We were putting in a multifamily site. We had taken out nine holes. We were putting in 157 single-family homes. But at that time in 2003, this was in July of 2003, Wayne Gretzky came along and played our golf course. Wayne Gretzky, Mike Weir, and Jerome McGinley. I don't remember who the fourth guy was. It doesn't matter. But Mike Weir was one of the nicest guys I ever met. And I tell you, you never saw a room of greenskeepers so excited when Mike Weir made a personal trip into maintenance shack to pull the guys inside and say, listen, guys, I just played Augusta national a couple of weeks ago, as you know. And he told them your greens are as good as what I just putted on Augusta and our greenskeepers, You couldn't get their heads through the doors for about the next week <laughs> after Mike Weir, the reigning masters champion told him how great their greens were. No, oh, that's a nice story for sure. And I know my, my dad is very choosy with who he picks for his favorite players. And I don't think that he's just, reflexively knee-jerk cheering for Mike Weir because he's Canadian. I think that it's because he's a really good he's guy. He's a nice guy, and that's what it is, bottom line. One thing I want to get to before we put a wrap on this 353rd episode of Unscripted, 
and I was taking a bit of a shot earlier on the Dallas Cowboys. Never been a big fan. Um, I think for the capital and the resources and the facilities that they have, I think the Dallas Cowboys should have been to the Super Bowl more than zero times the last 25 years or whatever it is. The number one revenue team, you mean? Right, yeah. With Jerry's World and uh, the the what they call the Fortress out in at uh, uh, the Star out in Frisco, Texas, that's their training facility. And um, I'm just starting to wonder, and I've wondered this for a long time, and you've known for a long time, as long as Chris and I have been doing unscripted, you know that Chris doesn't have a whole hell of a lot of respect for one Gerald Jones. <laughs> I don't have much respect for Gerald Jones either. I think Gerald Jones really screwed up a dynasty back in the early 90s when I was in the radio business, and he pissed off Jimmy Johnson enough that Jimmy said, fuck you, I'm leaving, and went to television. That was a mistake because the Cowboys have never recovered from that. Jimmy Johnson was the best coach outside of Tom Landry that that franchise has ever had, and you win two Super Bowls in three years, and then you piss off the guy that made it happen? See, that's why sometimes, and still holds true in some respect for the Dallas Cowboys since he's owned the team 30 years ago. Jerry Jones has now owned the Cowboys for 30 years, bought him in 89. But sometimes business and sports don't mix. Because Jerry Jerry Jones still to this day, I believe, runs the Dallas Cowboys more like one of his oil companies. And you can't do that. There's a reason why the Dallas Cowboys have not been to a Super Bowl in 25 years. It's because of poor management. They've got all the facilities. They've got all the toys. And yet... America's team hasn't been to the Super Bowl since the mid-90s. Is part of it because maybe they're overthinking stuff? And the reason I ask that, they have a league-high 26 assistant coaches on the staff. 26 coaches are on Jerry Jones's payroll. The six-time Super Bowl champion New England Patriots have only a 15-man staff. How can the Cowboys have 11 more assistants? And they've won zero Super Bowls in the last 25 years. And the Patriots have won six. What, 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 what the hell do you do with 26 assistant coaches? If you're winning Super Bowls, okay. But they're just, they've won what? Maybe one division championship in the last couple of years. A couple of years ago, they went into the playoffs at 12-4. and four, And they were the number one seeded team. And then Aaron Rodgers kicks their ass with a last second pass to Jared Cook. And they kick the field goal and win. Um, besides that... Have the Cowboys been prevalent since the mid-90s? One word, no. Yeah, I remember when Dallas Akins, when he was coach of the Oilers, went down there and embedded himself, as they say, with Jason Garrett and his team for, I think, three days just to see what it was like. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. Yeah, like, it was like, well, if I have three assistants and this guy has 30, like, uh, you know, what's he doing? So I, I appreciate that idea, but... You know what really hurt Jerry Jones? And this might not have affected him at all either, but when Jason Garrett inexplicably won coach of the year in 2016 mm-hmm. which was the dumbest thing i've ever like jason garrett i'm sorry seems like a nice guy he is not the best coach in the national football league that's why he's got 26 or 25 other assistants oh man he would be like honestly like jason i'm sorry he's he's near the bottom he's near the very bottom he's he's like bottom two bottom three honestly he just is i'm sorry and it, you know even if Jerry Jones wanted to fire him, and I don't think he does. I think he just likes him as a guy, and he just sticks with his guy and loyal Texas and whatever. But <laughs> I don't know. I just made that up, but I have no idea if that's a thing. But I'm just trying to try and explain it. But even if he wanted to, when you win Coach of the Year, 
how like Jerry Jones, like even if he wants to fire him, it's like, oh, well, I can't really fire the guy who just won coach of the year. I mean, Masai Ujiri can. But, like, well, they did it in Calgary. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, Masai Ujiri did it in uh, Denver. Denver, yeah, Denver. fired George Carlin. Yeah, very, George Carl, very yeah. good. Look at you. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. Whoa. So some people like that can do it. And maybe Jerry's still going to look like a hero, but Jerry Jones is not. I'm just waiting for Jerry Jones to make himself the head coach. That's going to be my favorite. The only question will be, will he be doing it at field level or in his in, in the well, box? Well, you know, it's funny. When in the mid-90s in the radio business, we had an ongoing discussion all the time because there was a lot of rumors coming out of Dallas, whether it was, you were talking to – Vern Lundquist or you're talking to Randy Galloway at the morning news or whomever you were talking to, it didn't matter. They all believed in the early nineties when Jones fired Jimmy Johnson, they really believed in their heart of hearts that Jerry was going to come down and coach the team. They really believed that. Oh and, yeah. Uh, thank I God. I can't blame them. Thank God they didn't. I don't know who they hired. Um, I know later on it was Bill Parcells, but uh, Parcells was way past his prime, but Jerry Jones to me has been one of the poorer owners for his singular team. I think Jerry has done a lot of good things for the league. I believe that. I want to believe that with the good old boys network and their money. But as for his role in the day-to-day operations of the Dallas Cowboys, I think it's done them a lot more harm than good. I think they needed to hire a legitimate football man way, 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 way long time ago because Jerry Jones, or excuse yeah, because Jerry Jones played tackle at the University of Arkansas back in the 50s. That makes him a football man. Bullshit. He never saw the field. Jimmy Johnson was a starting guard on the 64 Arkansas team that won a national championship. Jerry Jones was a bench warmer on that team. But Jerry's a football man. No, you're not. And that's why, again, the Cowboys have been irrelevant since the mid-90s. But literally, out of 32 teams in the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys are the number one revenue oh, team. Oh, for sure. They are at the top of the list. Yep. Not not close. Like, they are clearly in first place Absolutely. in the league for when it comes to revenue. They're America's team. They're mo- their most recognized logo and brand in yep. the NFL. Yep. A storied franchise. Yep. Uh, did well both in the 90s and back in the day before that. Had had a number of great teams in a couple different eras. And yet they haven't done shit in a quarter century. And that is inexcusable. Doesn't matter who's running the team. Doesn't matter what sport it is. If you are the number one sports revenue team in your league, you have no excuse for not winning regularly. This is like if the Yankees went for 25 years without a World Series, which no one can even fathom something like that happening. Right, it's been a few years now, and it's getting yeah. It's ridiculous. been what seven years now. Yeah, 2012 was the last time for the Yankees, I believe, and uh, they're starting to rumble a little bit. Yeah, we'll know. try quadrupling that, yeah. and then we'll see where they're at. Think if George Steinbrenner was still running the Yankees, he'd have fired any manager he's had that hasn't won in seven years. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And there is just not enough accountability. Jason Garrett's been there too long at not enough performance for sure. And, you know, Jerry Jones, the problem is, and this is a problem with really bad scouts and bad executives in sports, is that they get married to guys. Mm-hmm. They they fall in love with guys. Right. They they see, and it's not just players, coaches too, like Jason Garrett. He clearly just loves Jason Garrett as a man, and I don't blame him for that because Jason Garrett does seem like a guy who you could really, like, seems like a decent dude. But he hasn't delivered, and you have to get rid of him. And you can't, you can't just get married to... Like Dak Prescott, good quarterback. I don't think he's going to win any Super Bowls. Like you, you can't get married to certain guys, and it's just it's been his downfall at all. And I think he probably thinks of his loyalty 
but it's just it's just a bunch you know, of lazy bullshit. You know, it's exactly right because all we keep hearing about when we t- see these mega contracts being signed and these guys um, opting out of their contracts, and you see the transactions that happen in big time professional sports, this is still a business, and build this business runs on execution but results. And if Jerry Jones was the employee instead of Jerry Jones, the owner, I believe Jerry Jones, the employee, would have gotten fired about 25 (laughs) years ago. Would he ever? And hey, all I have to say, Amari Cooper for a first round pick. There you go. First round pick for Amari Cooper. Good for you, Jerry. You're a real football man. I can't wait for my fantasy leagues this year. I can't wait to watch all the people who overdraft Amari Cooper. And I just get to laugh my balls off. And I just hope I don't play him the two games next year where he does really well and gets a ton of fantasy points. And I'll be set because that is totally ridiculous giving a first round pick for Amari Cooper. And just that's just one of the terrible decisions that Jerry Jones has made when it comes to football. And I don't think Jerry Jones is ever going to win anything else ever again in his lifetime. We've got a run on this 353rd episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We thank you for participating and joining us and hope that you continue to do so. Freeform Friday is next as we wrap up another week of wonderful shows here on Unscripted. And uh, we'll have a lot of things to talk about as Chris goes on to our uh, Twitter Twitter account and, of course, twitter.com slash unscripted mc finds things that people are talking about of any interest to chris or i we uh, banter about a little bit and go on great way to end the week and that's coming up next on uh, unscripted with mike and chris having said all that for the producer of our little the executive producer of our little program mr chris fluke i'm mike jansen until next time